Shall we read a poem from A Light in the Attic? And this is take two of our second season first episode. Welcome everybody to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. And I'm Lauren, and I hate backtracking. (laughs) I have done my best to forget everything I said on the last episode. Well, I haven't. Well, for those of you who are wondering why you had one tiny little short outtakes episode, is because I had to scramble because uh, there were some sound issues last week, which have hopefully been resolved. I think so. My computer stopped recognizing my microphone, and so then I just turned it off and turned it back on again, and now it's doing it. But I hadn't noticed that it had just quit. Well, after reopening A Light in the Attic... I was reminded of why I preferred Where the Sidewalk Ends to A Light in the Attic, because good golly, there is just a lot of body horror in this. There was a fair amount in Where the Sidewalk Ends, though, too, but this takes it to another level. I feel like it does. Although the poem I'm reading doesn't have... Well, never mind. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of body horror, starting on the cover. Yeah. So last time when we did Where the Sidewalk Ends, we waited a very long time until we read the poem Where the Sidewalk Ends, and also we waited a very long time until we read the poem that was at the beginning of Where the Sidewalk Ends, which is Invitation, and so instead of that awkwardness, this time I'm starting with A Light in the Attic. There's a light on in the attic, though the house is dark and shuttered. I can see a flickerin' flutter, and I know what it's about. There's a light on in the attic. I can see it from the outside. And I know you're on the inside, looking out. And so the illustration for this is the cover of A Light in the Attic. It is a round-headed person with a forehead that is a house. (laughs) It's the top part of a house uh, with a very steep pitch to its roof. And there's a little face sticking out of the open window, and the shutters are open. And the face is uh, kind of triangular, like a ghost, and has no other features other than eyes. Possibly a ghost, possibly a member of the KKK. (laughs) Hard to tell. Actually, considering Shel Silverstein was Jewish, probably it's a ghost. It seems more likely to be a ghost. Yeah. But who are we to assume the presence of the KKK in Shell's own brain? But this is unlikely to be Shell because it's not bearded. Right. It looks a fair bit younger than Shell usually depicted himself. And no beard. Well, what do we make of this window to the soul? Window to the soul? Like, is that what I think? Well, yeah, well. I, guess, I guess it's sort of the that the light in the attic is your brain turning on. A light bulb like an idea. It is cute. Maybe the, a little inspiration. The the fellow who who has the house for the head doesn't look like the brightest bulb. <laughs> it's no. It's a very vacant stare wide-eyed. coming back at us. Well, I think that when you're saying that I know you're on the inside looking out, it has to do with not really being able to know what somebody else is thinking. Or maybe in this case, the guy with a vacant stare isn't thinking anything at all. But you would never know. You can't tell. People are just black boxes with a light on inside. 
My attic is really weird. You have a basement and an attic? This is the most fortunate situation. Well, my basement is a hand-dug basement with hand-poured concrete. It's kind of dingy, and it's very low, so you could never finish it. And the foundation is okay as long as there's no earthquake. But as you know, the Pacific Northwest is completely safe from any major earthquakes. I have never heard of such a seismic event ever happening here ever at the end. Uh-uh. Although it's a wood structure, so it would probably just slide off the foundation. It would not be a complete death trap. But the attic is huge. What lives there? I don't know. Whenever I think about the attic, I get kind of creeped out. <laughs> like, do you ever have like dreams that maybe when you were a child that your house has rooms that you've never discovered before or like i love thinking about things like that it's like the, yeah. the that daniel esky novel the house of leaves well my attic is kind of like that there's it, this whole large space up there that you forget exists it's not used for storage or no it's it's not convenient to use for storage it's there's no stairs that go up to it you have to bring a ladder over yeah uh, and there's no floor to the attic. It's just some insulation and some beams. Oh. So it's not a room, but it's kind of a room, and it does have light bulbs in it. What if you laid plywood over the beams? In theory, you could finish the attic, although I was told, one, the structure, the attic isn't that structurally sound, so also great in an earthquake. <laughs> and two, if I wanted to finish it, I'd have to re-pour the basement before the house could support another floor. Mm. So now I just have this really mysterious large space. Did you have an attic as a child? Kind of. Was it used for anything? Mm, storage. Mm. But it was also the same situation where you have to use a ladder. And those are the memories that I have of my childhood attic. It was exactly like yours in that it didn't support any. It was just beams and insulation. But it was used for loads of storage. Um, right. Particularly because I lived in the suburbs, various holiday decorations. Right. That is where they seem to belong. And so every Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and such like, I would find myself being scuttled up the stairs to hand down boxes. And it's probably the first right. time I remember feeling grown up. <laughs> My first house, which I lived in until I was five, had an attic that was used for storage. The second house the one that i grew up for most of my childhood you know if it has an attic i've never been in it and it's not used for storage hmm. i don't think it has much of an attic i think there's like one space over one room where there's enough room between the ceiling and the the roof or an attic but it's not really used well what was the scariest room in your house as a kid uh i guess the furnace room hmm Cool. It was loud and made Fern. scary noises because it was a furnace. It was scary because it was a furnace. <laughs> it was scary because it was scary. Also, uh, it was where my dad stored all his tools and the cats liked to piss in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, having never grown up with a furnace room, uh, I think my pick for scariest was the garage for some reason. Mm-hmm. I've ever seen a scary garage. I remember at various points this one would sometimes hold cars and sometimes not and sometimes be filled with mysterious things. Hmm. 
Much like an attic. Much like but an it doesn't attic. Hold, but attics don't hold cars. <laughs> Not with that attitude, they don't. <laughs> if you've got a car in your attic, probably a tornado came through. But in that case, you probably don't have an attic anymore. <laughs> if you've got a car in your attic, you might be a Japanese convenience store. Like with the elevators? The <laughs> car the ele- elevators? I, yeah, yeah the car elevators. Story, yeah. <laughs> well, in case you don't know, listener... In Japan, they put cars on elevators, and that's how they do parking with not so much floor space. That is the creation of a golden god. Yeah, they're on sort of this, like, vertical conveyor belt. It was... the Imagine the gumption on the individual that first looked at a car and went, I'm going to build an elevator for that. That is living psychosis. <laughs> I know where to store this. Up. Up. <laughs> Well, I am covering how not to have to dry the dishes. Okay. If you have to dry the dishes, such an awful, boring chore. If you have to dry the dishes instead of going to the store. If you have to dry the dishes and you drop one on the floor, maybe they won't let you dry the dishes anymore. And your illustration is a small, presumably looks girlish. Those yeah, might I interpreted be, it as girl. Uh, but holding a plate the size of their torso, uh, half-heartedly drawing it with a smashed one on the ground beside them. So, Russ, why did you pick this one? We haven't talked a whole lot just yet about the publication of A Light in the Attic. Um, mm. this, this one, of course, came out after... Where the Sidewalk Ends in 1981. The Wikipedia entry says that it was marketed towards adults as well, presumably the same adults who like Cronenberg movies. And under a heading controversies, attempts have been made to ban the book from some libraries in the United States. Parents Mm. claiming that the poem How Not to Have to Dry the Dishes encourages messiness and disobedience. It does. And I agree, and I chose this poem because I enjoy talking about weaponized incompetence, which I guess is also a form of messiness and disobedience. Right. Why don't you explain what weaponized incompetence is? In an article in uh, Modern Intimacy by Dr. Kate Balistrieri, Weaponized incompetence, a term coined by Eve Rodsky, refers to a situation wherein a person pretends to be bad at doing something in order to get out of doing certain tasks. It can pertain to any task at all, but usually manifests itself in home life settings like care tasks, which leads to domestic inequalities. Mm. And so the example TikTok that first ran across my feed was a woman sending her husband or significant other to the store to go grocery shopping, a relatively simple task, but was sending him with not only an ultra-itemized list of things to get, that included pictures of the individual things, but also a complete map of the store with dots as to where each thing could be found. Holy crap, and did he still fail? That wasn't covered in that particular TikTok. I only assumed that he came home with 90% of the things. So I don't normally reference Saturday Night Live, but they just did a skit about this. Oh my god, Uh, tell me all about it. It's parodying Old Enough, the Japanese show. Mm. 
And this woman sends her 30-some boyfriend out to get two shallots and a type of makeup. <laughs> Do you want to watch it? Does he quick? come does he come home dead? <laughs> yes, I want to watch it right now. <laughs> okay, let's watch it. It's called Old Enough Long-Term Boyfriends. <laughs> now that he's 34, he's ready to run an errand all by himself. It's so weird to me yep. that, that, that that's called old enough in the States. In, in Japan, that's my first errand. And now we're remaking it here. But since Americans don't send toddlers out into the world alone, we had to find an equally helpless group. And we did! Here's a sneak peek of old enough long term boyfriends. Matt and Kelsey live in New York City. They have been dating for three years, and now that he's 34, Kelsey thinks Matt is ready to run an errand all by himself. He's <laughs> looking around like the children. In I'm going to need you to go out and get a couple of things for me, okay? Are you going to come? No, on? no, no. This is something you have to <laughs> She's given him a water bottle and okay? traffic stop flag. Nervous. But with Kelsey's help, Matt is ready for his big errand. <laughs> Matt will have to walk four blocks to Sephora, which he thinks is called Sephora. Yeah, his like job is to get makeup from Sephora and then go to the market for shallots. Then he'll need to get two shallots at the market. Here he goes. Hi. He's only 34. <laughs> wow, so brave. Don't get distracted by Ana de Armas, Matt. And he made it to Sephora. But once inside, Matt is Matt is now crying in Sephora. He's never been here without Kelsey before. Oh no, Matt, don't cry. Ask for help like a big boy. <laughs> Do you know where the makeup is? Oh, this is all makeup in here, sweetie. Do you know what you're looking for? Look at Tug Daughter's Remember, sleeve. Remember, Matt, Kelsey wants a Smashbox Night Mist eye pencil. Smash mouth. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Back at home, Kelsey hopes Matt is okay by himself. Matt is so great at doing things he likes, like DraftKings or his adult Legos. But getting something for me without me being there is a lot for him to handle. Especially at his age. I might have a bottle, a glass of wine. It's 10 a.m., but it's fine. You can cut that out, right? At Sephora, Matt makes his purchase. Hooray! And after stopping to buy a bacon, egg, and cheese, even though he ate lunch an hour ago, Matt's on his way to the market. But what's this? Another boy <laughs> on an errand? Hi. I'm 34. I'm 38 and a half. Are you on an errand for your girlfriend? Yeah, I had to get dry cleaning and a cream that cost $80. Are shallots onions? Yeah. Bye. Bye. Keep going, Matt. You're almost there. I have also asked the question, are shallots Kelsey onions? Wanted two kind of. <laughs> mm. oh. But he buys they're, two five-pound bags of onions. <laughs> they're both aliens. Matt Kelsey has bought two five-pound bags of onions. Hurry up, Matt. You're almost there. And he's done it. Hey, I am really proud of him. That said, I asked him to get an eyeliner pencil and two shallots, and he brought home 10 pounds of onions and a blush palette for African-American women. So... 
we should just break up. It's just not this. It's everything. We're basically roommates. Watch. Baby, do you want to have sex right now? Uh-huh. It's like light outside. Oh, silly me. So the show definitely talks about how this boyfriend character is perfectly capable of doing what he wants to do and quite talented at it, but when it's something he's not so interested in, it's just a disaster. That was... I take back half of the terrible things I've ever said about Saturday Night Live because I laughed actually (laughs) at that. Maybe maybe it was the timeliness of it, but damn, that was yeah, that that worked nicely. Oh, heterosexual relationships. Oh, heterosexual relationships. Got curious at some of the ridiculous things that men might actually do Mm -hmm. in the name of weaponized incompetence, and found my favorite one as I often do on Reddit, where an individual named Nowin writes: "My ex developed type two diabetes when we were together." And he was given two different types of insulin, metformin, and a big stack of paperwork to educate him on his new diagnosis. I don't remember which glycemia applies to this anymore. Basically, when his blood sugar would get too high, he'd fall asleep and start slipping into a diabetic coma. Guess who stuck to a proper schedule for maybe four months before they started ignoring when they needed insulin to the point that they started slipping into diabetic naps every other week. He just wanted to wait for me to wake him up when that happened because he knew I would. Oof. Wow, it would be so easy to just let him die. Just let him slip off into the great beyond. You don't even have to, like, bring him a drink with arsenic. (laughs) You just don't wake him up. Not a jury in the world would convict that. No, I mean, you could see him start to drift off and then take a nap yourself or (laughs) go on an errand and be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I just went out to go to the store and get my own damn shallots and makeup and and I came back and he was dead. And he had his he had his med bag right there and his insulin. He was only 34. <laughs> wow, we are we are getting this season off to an ugly start, aren't we? <laughs> Did you ever dry the dishes when you were a kid? Do you dry the dishes now? My chores when I was a kid were laundry. And I had very little to do with the dishes, if ever. I don't understand drying the dishes because it seems like no matter how much I try to dry a dish, it's still wet. (laughs) I don't bother with drying the dishes. My uh, dishwasher right now does a lot of the drying work. But if... Yeah, mine does too. Something comes out slightly damp, I will just sort of shake it around and then put it on the shelf. I usually shake it... And then put it on the dish rack. I have a dish rack in case I'm doing things by hands. Also, why do you dry the dishes when you have a dish rack? Just let them dry in the dish rack. I guess if you have a family, I guess if you have family, you have too many people and the dish rack gets overwhelmed. I I don't know. I don't know. I do remember drying dishes at some point in my childhood, and I have no idea why that was a thing. I, feel, I just can't explain it at this point. I feel like that was like an idle hands chore where it's like, give this to Lauren, she won't get in trouble. Right, that might be, it might have been a sort of like, well, we need to give her something to do. Yeah, here, Put her go, to work somehow. Go count this sand, you know, so one of those yeah. kind of chores. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Why do people try dishes? Well, do you have any uplifting thoughts for our listeners on this, our first episode of season two? 
You know I'm not great at that, but I can tell a little funny story. Yay! About kitchen and chores and stuff. I tried to make cream sauce tonight, but I put too much flour in the roux. Do you know what a roux is? Yes, of course I know what a roux is. Okay. (laughs) Did you make cream gravy? uh, Yes, I did. Remember, I'm better now. (laughs) You used to not know how to chop an onion. I know. (laughs) I am very very guilty. Past me is very guilty of weaponized incompetence, and I'm better now. Now you can. Now you probably make roux better than I do. <laughs> yes, well, I clearly know. this was a terrible roux. Yes, I made gravy-ish, except it's the gravy's lumpy with flour chunks, and so it kind of tastes like biscuits and gravy, but it's somehow both at the same time. <laughs> we'll call cream and dumplings. <laughs> why? Why are the dumplings so grainy? <laughs> I'm thinking about just adding baking soda to it and putting it back in the oven and seeing what happens. Dumpling surprises. (laughs) Oh, oh, we'll call it cinnamon challenge gravy. (laughs) I didn't put any (sighs) cinnamon in it. (laughs) No, but how, how people spew clouds and... Oh, gross. No, I don't do that.